Hi there, it's Ed here with a short message before we start the pod this week. Did you know that our most informed investors get insights, articles and investment ideas from Tom, me and the team sent directly to them via email and it is completely free. You can join them. Just subscribe at fidelity.co.uk slash newsletters. Hello and welcome to the Personal Investor Podcast. I'm Ed Monk. Today on the show, we're splitting our attention between two stories from this week. First of all, the latest round of rate-setting meetings on both sides of the Atlantic. Will the market get what it wants with some dovish words from central bankers? And then we'll take a look at China, where the stock market has been a disappointment for its backers over the past year, but does now represent a good time to buy. If you enjoy the show, please rate us, share us, or leave a comment wherever you get your podcasts. The single biggest influence on stock markets in the past year has been expectations for interest rates. This week then represents an important moment for investors because central bankers in both the US and the UK are meeting to set monetary policy. And that is where we are starting this week. Joining me to do that is Tom Stevenson, Investment Director here at Fidelity. Tom, welcome along. Um, We're also going to spend some time on China today because uh, you've been taking a look at that particular market this week. But let's start with interest rates. Um, Normally, when we discuss rate decisions, we have to give the caveat that any predictions can soon be made to look foolish. This time, touch wood, it doesn't really feel like we're going to get any big surprises in terms of the decisions. Yeah, famous last words. We shall see. Yeah. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, it does seem likely that uh, there'll be no change on either side of the Atlantic this week. Um, you know, we're clearly uh, we're clearly at this sort of slack water moment in the in the interest rate cycle. You know, I think I think there's a general acceptance that that rates have have probably peaked and um, they probably won't go go any higher. But the exact timing of when the tide starts to come in again and, and interest rates start to fall is is a subject of of a lot of sort of heated heated debate. But all the sort of mood music from the central banks. Uh, in the US and and the UK is that uh, this week we'll see uh, unchanged rates. Yeah, and it's going to be one of those times where it's not the decision that gets the most attention. It's the words surrounding the decision from the Federal Reserve and from the Bank of England. Um, It's going to be interesting to hear what they say, isn't it? Because the, the market has been consistently more dovish than central bankers themselves have been, certainly in their tone. Um. You, do you think that's going to change this week? What do you expect from the words of the central banks? Yeah, what the what the central banks have to say in uh, around the the rate decisions, you know, in their press conferences uh, or in their the, the commentary that comes out with the decisions is is always is always important. I think it's particularly so this week because there is, as you say, a, a big divergence between the expectations of the market and what, at least in public, the central banks are saying. And that's particularly the case in the UK, actually, where um, the, the Bank of England has, has, has really gone to great pains to suggest that, um, you know, it is still focused on inflation. Um, inflation is still higher than um, target and parts of the inflation uh, equation, particularly wage growth, uh, are even higher than the than the overall level. And so the bank has said, look, you know, we will we will actually be prepared to raise rates if we have to, to to get on top of inflation. That's not what the market expects. The market, mm. you look at some of the forecasts for for uh, interest rates in the UK, which are currently at five and a quarter percent 
you know, I've seen them as low as three, three and a half percent within 18 months or so. So the expectation in the market is we're going to see a rapid fall in in inflation, uh, in interest rates um, as inflation does come down. Um, and and perhaps as the economy starts to head towards a recession, similar story in the US, but slightly different because uh, over there, the economy is actually quite strong. Um, and I think that um, the, the Federal Reserve probably doesn't feel under any pressure to, to, to cut interest rates at the moment. Um, mm. uh, the, the jobs market is, is strong in particular. And I think it's going to wait and see. The thing about central banks is, you know, they historically, they have often made the mistake of uh, starting to cut interest rates at the first sign of a slowdown in the economy. Mm. And that has allowed inflation to pick up again. And, you know, that is something which, you know, both central banks will be really keen not to do. And, and it's natural, isn't it, for, for a central bank to, to be more hawkish in the scenario that we have at the moment, because they want inflation to come down. It is above target. Um, but they, they can do that with words somewhat, can't they? They can They can talk tough. They can dampen down market expectations without having to... Well, very unlikely to raise rates, but 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 keep them higher for longer. They presumably um, they can they can talk the market down a bit. Yeah, I think I think you know a lot of the power of a central bank is is expectation management. It's just, it's it's making people believe that they will follow through and, and keep rates higher or even raise rates. Um, that can slow the economy down. So that can do a lot of the work without actually having to um, mm. to raise rates. And, and when do we think rate falls might come? Because you do see uh, some predictions that uh, in the UK, at least they might be begin in the spring, May or even April, I've seen. Um, others say it won't come before the summer. It feels like the UK is slightly behind um, the US certainly in terms of, of, of when it might um, bring rates down. It occurs to me you've got a lot of space here for the markets to be disappointed, and notwithstanding what we've said. Um, they want they want rate cuts sooner rather than later, don't they? And, and central banks might find it hard to deliver that. Yeah, I think you're right because what's what's priced into the markets um, is, uh, and you can and you can tell this by looking at at the, the 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 futures markets, which indicate expectations about where interest rates will be in in the months and years ahead. So you can you, you know you can actually measure what the market is expecting. And, and if you look at the U.S., for example, Federal Reserve has indicated that they would expect cut interest rates by uh, three. Uh, quarter point cuts this year, the market pricing is suggesting maybe twice as many, maybe five or six quarter yeah. point rate cuts. That's a big difference. And that does open up, as you say, the possibility of, of disappointment if that doesn't come. Now, as, as to the timing, I'm slightly cautious on this because, you know, if you remember back at the beginning of 2023, so a year ago, you know, there was a consensus that at some point last year, you know, there'd be a slowdown in the economy and interest rates would start falling. And we were talking about interest rates falling last summer. Now we're talking about this summer. So I would be I would be cautious about pinning it down too much. But, you know, again, looking at the uh, at the futures markets, there's a kind of 50 percent chance priced in that the first rate cut in the US will be um, in March. So that's that's at the next meeting. Um, but that also means there's a 50% chance mm -hmm. that it will be, be later than that. So at the very earliest, we're talking about March, but it, you know, it could be as late as the summer. And this all matters for, for lots of reasons, but let's revisit some of those. The stock market 
as I said in my introduction, very, very sensitive to interest rates and, and changes in rate expectations. Um, that's because of the leadership of stock markets and these companies that are very, very sensitive to inflation and to interest rates, right? So if we get a disappointment in terms of rates, you can expect a lot of the stock market to fall. Yeah, I mean, that's a large part of it. Um, and then there's just the general point about reducing the cost of borrowing is is, is helpful to, to both businesses and households. Uh, it, you know, it um, supports uh, economic growth. Um, and if you look at what happened at the end of last year with the stock market rising very strongly in the last two months of the year, a lot of that was premised on the expectation that we would start to get interest rate cuts from from the spring. So I think, um, you know, not markets are not exactly priced for perfection, but they're certainly priced with some anticipation that we will get some movement on interest rates quite soon. OK, OK. Well, Tom, let's leave that one there for now and turn to something else. Uh, that you've been writing about in this past week, which is China. Um, the Chinese stock market, let's rewind a year, shall we? Because of all the major markets a year ago, you could have made the case that China had some of the best prospects out there. Um, but that would have been a mistake, wouldn't it? Yeah, it was. I mean, you know, a year ago, um, a lot of people were pretty optimistic about about China. And the principal reason for that was that we had just, um, uh, you know, a couple of months earlier, we'd, we'd had uh, a loosening of the world's tightest COVID um, yeah. regulations, restrictions. Um, and essentially, China, quite suddenly, almost overnight, sort of opened up. And the expectation among investors was that this would lead to you know, uh, a big increase in consumer spending, consumer confidence, as we had seen in in other markets like mm -hmm. our own, where once people were let loose again, un unleashed from their from their uh, the constraints of of, of co the pandemic restrictions, um, there was a big boost to the economy. So it was not unreasonable to expect that in China. In practice, it didn't really happen, and and you know there hasn't really been a satisfactory explanation of why yeah. it hasn't happened. I mean, there are. There are lots of idiosyncratic reasons why why China is different from from the rest of the world, um, uh, but clearly in that respect, we misread it. We, most people misread that. Yeah, situation. and in that respect, around the reopening of COVID, that it was actually common to lots of economies, wasn't it? And I was just looking back at the just the overall performance of the Chinese market um, over the last couple of decades, and uh, it's been volatile. And there's there was this tremendous rise, I guess. Uh, that recovery that we saw in markets after the sort of COVID hit, very deep fall, then it recovered quite strongly. And then something seemed to change or be different in China because it it. it it didn't really it didn't really recover in the way that you've described other markets doing. You know, yeah. it just seemed to continue that 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 sort of divergence away. And that's really what's made uh, it's very painful to be invested in China in the last couple of years, right? It just, yeah. The chart's frightening to look at. There was a very strong bounce back in, in 2020 because I think uh, it was felt that China had been first into uh, COVID. I mean, that was that's where it all started. Mm. And it felt like China was coming out of COVID uh, very quickly. But then, um, uh, you know, we had subsequent sort of rounds of, of different strains of, of COVID. And, uh, and the authorities there took this, you know, what turned out to be a slightly curious decision to basically have a zero 
COVID policy. You know, the idea was that they would just absolutely mm. clamp it out, clamp down and, and stamp it out. Um, the reality was that, that that came with an enormous um, economic, but also an enormous, I think, an enormous psychological cost. Uh, and I think that one of the reasons why China didn't bounce back was I think the country was kind of traumatized by this yeah. very, very long and very aggressive um, lockdown. Um, and at the same time, there were other things going on in the Chinese economy, in particular uh, in the property uh, sector, um, which uh, was a very important part of the over overall Chinese economy. And some estimates put the property sector at uh, accounting for about 30% of GDP in China when you when you fold in all the sort of ancillary services and insurance and all of those things. Mm. It's a really important driver of growth or has been a really important driver of growth. And and it's kind of on its knees. We've had some interesting news on that today with uh, this week with um, Evergrande, which is, you know, the biggest um, residential property developer in China, also the most heavily indebted company in the world. I think $300 billion of debt. There was a ruling from a Hong Kong court that that you know the company needs to be liquidated. No one really knows how that's going to play out, mm. but it suggests that the, the, the health of the property sector is still a really big issue in China. So I think you've got this combination of COVID and the property sector has, has been made it very difficult for Chinese investors. Yeah, lots of headwinds. And you put very broad figures on what this meant for investors in the past year. You compared £100 invested in China versus the US market. Um I think you'd have about seventy pounds left had you been. Yeah, I mean, it's been a big drop in the Chinese market, and then compare that to what if you'd invested the same amount in the U.S. market, where it's gone up from from one hundred to one hundred and twenty. Yeah. That's a very big divergence in a very yeah. short space of time. The consequence of that, of course, is you know that China is probably the most out of favour stock market in the world, and I think that starts to get um, you know contrarian investors antennae. Uh, twitching a bit because you can make a case for that you know there is a there are positive stories in in China uh, as well as the the negative ones that we've hit, alluded to well well you know one of those one of those stories about China always used to be that you know this is a long term story urbanization growing middle class wealth generally opening up the economy as time goes on is that case still intact in china are there any other modifications you have to make to that case well i think to a degree it's still intact um although i would say that 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 story was a much stronger story 10 or 15 years ago yeah. when you know the, the the you know if you like the low hanging fruit of of moving people out of the countryside into cities um, where you know, uh, you know, people are citizens are more productive from an economic perspective when they live in in cities. So that urbanisation story was a very strong, um, you know, positive for the Chinese market, and I think that has kind of played out now. And there was always a there was always a concern about China that it would get old before it got rich, mm -hmm. um, and part of that is to do with the single child. Um, policy. Uh, it is a fast aging population. And people talk about the Japanification of China, which is an interesting comparison because um, Japan uh, was a fast aging society uh, and was about 20 or 30 years ahead of China in that regard. And it, and it did have a lost generation, really, of economic stagnation. Um, mm. It's kind of pulling out of that um, now. So uh, I think, you know, there is a concern that China you know, follows Japan in that route, but on a much bigger scale, which obviously has implications for the rest of the global economy.
Yeah, um, well, as you said, um, when news is negative on any asset, there's always going to be contrarians out there ready to sniff out an opportunity. Does this bad run for Chinese shares make it interesting uh, on value grounds? I think just on pure valuation grounds, it is definitely interesting. I mean, uh, um you know, there are various markets around the world which are quite cheap at the moment. I'd include the UK in that on about 11 times expected earnings. Yeah. But China's much cheaper than that. I mean, the, the Chinese stock market can, can can be bought on about nine times expected earnings. Which historically, is very cheap for China, but just in relative terms, is very cheap. I mean, that's that's half what you'd pay for for the average American share, for yeah. example. So just on valuation terms, yes, I think it's attractive. And there are some great innovative companies uh in in china and and it's at a different stage in in the economic cycle so you know i i when i wrote my article my conclusion in the article was you know if not now then when because yeah, that, you know if if you don't take advantage of these um really glaring um contrarian uh opportunities then really you probably never will. I mean, this to me feels like a, a an opportunity. Yeah, I think that was uh, that was well put. That question because, yeah, if you if you buy into that story at all, n- now is a great time to, to to get on board with it. It's just the reality, I guess, with with China that there's always going to be a bit of a discount versus other markets. It is earlier in its development and what have you, um, but you know, at the margins maybe. You know, it it can it can rise very quickly as well as as well as fall. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that, that you're right. There's a good point to make about this. You know, there will always be, I think, a kind of discount. One that reflects the volatility of the Chinese market, and that need, you need an investor would need to be compensated for that for that volatility. I think there's also um, uh, a political and geopolitical element in that you know to understand the Chinese market to invest in the Chinese market you need to have you know at least one eye on what the government is doing mm-hmm. and what their thoughts are how they're how they're weighing up you know social stability and economic growth because they have a great deal of power to to, to guide which way the economy goes yeah. and you can't ignore it as an investor and I think that probably does demand something of a discount but you know at nine times expected earnings I think that's more than priced in okay okay well Tom I think that's plenty of uh, us today I would say thanks for joining me thanks Ed you've been listening to the money talk podcast Check fidelity.co.uk for daily written updates and articles on these and other topics from across Fidelity in the UK. And subscribe via iTunes to get the podcast downloaded direct to your devices every week. Please note that the value of investments and the income from them can go down as well as up, so you may get back less than you invest. Investors should note that the views expressed may no longer be current and may have already been acted upon. This information is not a personal recommendation for any particular investment. If you are unsure about the suitability of an investment, you should speak to one of Fidelity's advisors or an authorised financial advisor of your choice. Overseas investments will be affected by movements in currency exchange rates and investments in emerging markets can be more volatile 
volatile than other more developed markets. Reference to the specific securities should not be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell these securities and is included for the purposes of illustration only. Tax treatment depends on individual circumstances and all tax rules may change in the future. Withdrawals from a pension product may not be possible until you reach age 55, 57 from 2028. This podcast may not be reproduced or circulated without prior permission. No statements or representations made in this podcast are legally binding on Fidelity or the recipient. This podcast is meant only for UK residents and does not constitute an offer or a solicitation in any jurisdiction in which it may be unlawful to make such an offer or solicitation.